A leading New Testament scholar says many Christians might need to reconsider their views of justification, heaven, and the resurrection. Jerry Johnson will discuss it with N.T. Wright, the Bishop of Durham in England. Also, the Southern Baptist met in Indianapolis. They officially encouraged political involvement and more. We'll discuss it. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. At this particular point in time, uh, and from the, the limited information that we have, is that the house is going to be salvageable. Now, the, the question is how long and how much. Uh, but if uh, most Texans are like me, and I think they are, uh, they want to see that house rebuilt. Now, uh, he went on to say uh, that we, we, he's going to rebuild it no matter what the cost is going to be. And then he said somehow or another we're going to raise that money. Of course, we know it's not going to be too outrageous. Now, I personally have never been in the governor's mansion. But I, I think like most Texans, take great pride in our traditions and our history, our links to the past. And it does have a lot to do with the values that we hold as a culture. So I care about it. I care about the mansion. But I'm privileged today to be joined by uh, Penna Dexter, the one who hosts this show so often. And it's great to have you here. Have you ever been uh, to the governor's mansion or in the governor's mansion? Well, Dr. Creamer, as a matter of fact, uh, just last year during the legislative session of 2007, I got to go to a tea that was hosted by Anita Perry and uh, right. saw the mansion. And of course, it's beautiful. And there are lots of furnishings that have meaning in there. Right. And I guess what I'm really hoping is that since it was being renovated when this uh, arson right, attack right. happened, that a lot of those were out right. of the mansion. But it's, it is really beautiful. And it's just right there right. near the Capitol on sort of a little hill there. And uh, so it would be sad if it were not replaced or, or fixed up. I hope right. it will be. And I, I, I do think as Texans, all of us kind of want that. I do. Uh, I Again, for me, it's just a link to the past that mm-hmm. uh, is very important for us to maintain. Uh, let me ask you something else, Penna. Did you hear anything this week about protests in Germany over our soldiers being in Germany? Have you heard anything about that? Nothing. No. Okay. That's odd, that. isn't it? How about South Korea? Any problems with our soldiers being there? I really didn't hear anything about that either. But we do have soldiers there, right? We have mm-hmm. lots of troops in South Korea, Long lots time. of troops in Germany. Huh. I wonder what's going on with that. Because there is this thing that John McCain was talking about this morning that everybody, everybody, everybody seems to be making a a very big deal out of this, and I just want to try to understand what he was saying. So here's what John McCain said. If it's working, Senator, do you now have a better estimate of when American forces can come home from Iraq? No, but that's not too important. What's important is the casualties in Iraq. Americans are in South Korea, Americans are in Japan, American troops are in Germany. That's all fine. American casualties and the ability to withdraw. 
There is absolutely, it seems to me, nothing controversial about what he said. Now, maybe I'm misunderstanding it, but as you listen to that, Penna, does that does that trouble you at all? Am I just missing something here? Why is this a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because they love to be able to jump on something uh, that McCain says. And, of course, he's already been criticized for saying uh, he hopes or thinks possibly our troops could be in Iraq for 100 years. Right, right. Which really isn't that far-fetched to say, but, of course, that was jumped on, too. They just sort of separated the clauses of a sentence there. Right. And, uh, okay, so now uh, I understand you saying, well, it wouldn't be an outrageous thing for us to be in Iraq for 100 years. I actually agree with that. That makes perfect sense to me. But I think a lot of listeners are going, what? Are you crazy? So how on earth can you mean that it would be acceptable for troops to be in Iraq for 100 years? Well, he's, uh, he has made the point that they would not be sustaining casualties. This right. would be a force, as is in uh, Korea and as is in Germany, that would just be there to maintain the stability. Just the fact that American troops are somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, they'll be in the Middle East. Uh, It will be a a stabilizing factor. And And this is what the point he's trying to make. And in fact, I know we don't want to sound selfish about this. I don't want to sound selfish about it. But I I mean, I I think it's just honest to admit uh, if we're able to have our troops there, that gives us a leg up in the area. It gives us a place where our interests are being preserved. And there's nothing wrong with that as an American, especially since we're providing a service for them in the process of providing that strength for us. You know, well. it's really impossible for liberals to admit that America is a better country than some other countries. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that statement has got to be crawling up the skin of some people who are listening, which I love the fact that it's crawling up their skin. The other side of it is, though, uh, McCain himself may makes clear that he is not saying that he wants a military engagement, that he wants conflict to continue for 100 years, that he wants casualties to continue for 100 years. He's simply saying that it is possible to maintain a presence in a land for a long time and it not be a bad thing, as in Germany, Japan, and South Korea, as he points out. So I want you to listen again as McCain. Now, he had clarified it by the time he finished the sentence, but he does clarify even further what he meant when he made these statements. The key to it is we don't want any more Americans in harm's way, and that way they will be safe and serve our country and come home with honor and victory, not in defeat, which is what Senator Obama's proposal would have done. Now, you agree with that, right? I mean, the deal is we want them out of harm's way. There's course, he was explaining it on the Today Show. But uh, Dr. Creamer, I, th- I find it very interesting that the critics of McCain are not picking up on something that's really happening over there in Iraq, and that is right. that the surge is working. Yeah. We've even had the liberal newspapers describing that in detail. Right. But you aren't hearing this no, among right. uh, the Democrat candidates that's and right. uh, among the liberals. I, and I do think it's unmistakable that it is succeeding. Now, I'm not there. I have not visited there. But the fact that people who don't don't want it to succeed are having to admit that it is succeeding uh, gives me great reason for believing the reports that we're hearing that there is good there are good things happening in Iraq right now and uh, the idea that we're going to uh, accelerate the rate of pulling our soldiers out right now even if it could cost us the benefits that are coming with this surge is just absurd and I really don't think the public's going to buy it I really don't think they are because I don't think the majority of people in the United States want us to abandon in Iraq and come home with our tails tucked. I just don't think they 
want that. It's really going to fade, I think, by the November election as an issue. And oh, what's really? going to happen is the the uh, the leader, whoever is elected, is going to actually benefit from the fact that our troops will begin coming home by the thousands right. during the next administration. Right. No, I can see that. I can see that being true. And I agree with you. It's going to fade in some ways. And there are so many things that McCain has said that really do bother me. I, they're not enough to keep me from voting for him. And uh, I will vote for him. I mean, that's what's going to happen with me personally. But uh, why not pick on the things that he says? that actually have some significance to them and try to corral him into respecting, for instance, a free market economy and things like that. That's, that would be nice. That's what I would focus on. So, And I, I think he's learning about those things. I'm not trying to be insulting to a man who's uh, you know, almost twice my age and capable of making good decisions. But, uh, wow, he start, he's got to start getting those things right. Okay, well, with all that, uh, I, I have to add one more thing. Bring all the troops home. Okay, now let's just think about this for a moment. I think some people have this weird utopian ideal They think that the troops are going to come home, and then they'll have the freedom to stay at home and play video games all of the time. Why do you think we have troops? We have troops because there's a need for stability around the world. So the idea that we want to bring troops home is misguided. And and McCain said this exactly correctly. The idea that we want our troops to be in a position where they are not in harm's way is a great thing. We do desire that. But we will achieve that through strength, not capitulation. So uh, I, I, I appreciate McCain's stance on those kinds of ideas and just wanted to get that across before we move forward. Now, the next thing that we need to talk about today, and great opportunity to do it, is that the uh, Southern Baptist Convention was going on this week. Had a privilege of talking with you about that on the phone yesterday, and I appreciate that. But you've been there all week, so just give me your first impressions, Penna, uh, about the convention as a whole. What was your overall impression? Well, I just got in, and uh, it's so much fun to go because you've got thousands of people who are called messengers who right. are representing their churches. A lot of times they're pastors and right. other interested people. And they're there, and they're talking about their faith. They're representing millions of people across the country who love God and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are certainly different uh, differences of opinions on certain things. Right. But the unity there is what's striking. And it's just so much fun to be together because people are working together in yeah. love right. and in goodwill yeah. uh, and talking about some very important issues. Yeah, and it is a good thing. And there are some uh, of those issues that come up in resolutions as they're prevented, uh, presented before the convention. And these messengers, as you mentioned, they vote on these resolutions, and then those allow us to present a unified front on different issues to the media and also to our own churches. Now, uh, I want to mention to everybody who's listening, the fact that these are called messengers is not accidental. They're not representatives. They're messengers. And the reason they're messengers instead of representatives is because we don't have a governing body in the SBC. The convention does not meet and pass legislation which all the churches then obey, our churches are autonomous. They do their own thing. And, uh, man, you go to any Southern Baptist church, and you know they do their own thing. Mm -hmm. They they follow their own rules. But the point is that we are committed not just to respecting autonomy of individuals or individuals in churches, but that we respect the lordship of Jesus Christ through each church. That's our commitment to the local congregation. And so messengers go as messengers from the churches to the convention. And they actually speak to the convention to say what the interests of those messengers is as they come from their churches. So they're not representing the rest of their uh, members in the churches. They're just being sent by those members to say, speak from your own conscience about the issues that are going on. So we actually have uh, a very great and high regard for individual congregations. 
there's a I want to ask you about some of these resolutions. You've served on the resolutions committee before, right? Three times. It's a major undertaking. You're there like a week ahead of the convention, getting it all right. ready for them to vote on the resolutions. And so you have resolutions that come from just members of churches mm-hmm. and from pastors and from groups and all of that kind of stuff, I assume, that come from all kinds Anybody of Anybody can submit a resolution. Okay, and then what does it take for one to make it to the floor to be recommended? Well, they yeah, just yeah. discuss it, and if there is a lot of interest in a certain subject, that will be one. If right. it speaks to a current issue that's in the news right now, often that will be one. Okay. Or if it's really controversial, right. sometimes they'll table it, sometimes they'll they'll deal with it. Right. Okay, good. Now, I love it when they deal with the controversial mm-hmm. ones, because that's where you want to speak. That's that's where you have an opportunity to, to give some input to the culture. Okay, well, here's a resolution. I, I just want to talk about two or three of these while we have time in the waning moments of this first segment. Um, but number one is one on ethnic diversity. What, what was the deal with that resolution? What does it say? It was just to acknowledge that there's ethnic diversity uh, among Southern Baptists, and, you know, we appreciate that. Because, yeah. you know, some people say, you know, Sunday's the most segregated day of the week right, and all right. that. So it was just sort of to counter to that. Yeah, and it acknowledges that we have a growing number of diversified churches in the, in the convention. That's a great thing. Uh, I wanted to mention we have there's a resolution on California's uh, ruling recently, their Supreme Court ruling on uh, gay marriage and making that legal, which is really problematic for a whole lot of reasons. Um, so tell me what on earth the uh, convention was able to say about that. Well, Anything? this one was proposed, and they're actually voting on it tonight. Uh, they didn't get all of them voted on this morning because one was kind of uh, in- invoked a lot of discussion. But this one really does say that we encourage Californians to go ahead and pass their marriage right. amendment, defining okay. marriage between one man and one woman. And okay. then we also encourage our federal representatives to uh, get a federal marriage amendment. It's, it's failed, and Southern right. Baptists have spoken to it before, and it's right. sort of reiterating that. Well, I'm just glad to hear they're willing to take a stand on it. It's really difficult in, a, in an environment where you're considered, uh, you know, to be taking political pot shots if you talk about homosexuality. It's really difficult to stand up and uh, say the right thing that we ought to do. Well, so that's I why I'm proud the of the convention. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, there's one on Planned Parenthood. What would they say to that group? All right, Planned Parenthood, as we know, the most, uh, the largest abortion provider in the country, and they get one-third of their funding is, is from our tax dollars. Right. So the convention was saying, uh, let's uh, defund Planned Parenthood and right. sort of speaking to everybody to educate them. Right, right. And then speaking to our federal, uh, again, elected officials and the president to say, let's quit giving tax dollars to this group. One more uh, quick one. There's a there's a motion or a resolution on political engagement. What did the convention say about that? Do we be, need to be more engaged, less engaged? How did the convention come down on it? They came down that we should be more engaged, and it's an election year. So a presidential year. So they thought it was important to speak to that. And there will also be 40 days of prayer uh, that's going to sort of be encouraged among the convention right before the election to pray for the election results. Well, all of these issues are important to me. I love talking about them. When we come back, we're going to bring up one more really important one. It's called Regenerate Church Membership. I'll explain exactly what that means and why it's so important when we come back. But we're also going to be able to air an interview with one of the leading New Testament scholars in the world. Dr. Johnson had the opportunity to do this interview just last week with N.T. Wright. We're going to cover a lot of very important and interesting issues, so I want you to hang on, stay with us through the break, and we're going to continue on Jerry Johnson Live.
If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. All right. Uh, glad to be talking with you today. have Penna Dexter, and she's just freshly back from the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, we were commenting on some of the resolutions that the convention passed, and one of them is called uh, Regenerate Church Membership and uh, and Church Member Restoration. Uh, you know, most people are going to say, well, what on earth is that? Penna, what is that resolution about? Why did they pass it? Well, we talked a little bit about it yesterday, and it's kind of the idea of saved church members. And this has been sort of a tenet of Southern Baptist life, uh, but some churches, some people think the convention are actually getting away from this. So it's just sort of the idea to encourage churches to make sure their members really know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. Some uh, of the roles of some churches right. uh, tend to be inflated, and sure. which makes the whole um, number that's used, 16 sure. million for Southern Baptists, inflated. Sure. And so that was, uh, you know, there was a lot of ins and outs talking about that. And obviously that. really we'll important for us to understand what it means for a person to be saved and to be involved in a congregation. Mm-hmm. So uh, a worthy topic. Now, Dr. Johnson last week, I understand, had time to do an interview with N.T. Wright, which we have, and we're going to air some of right now. Uh, you know about this interview, right? Well, the reason he got to do this is because uh, the Bishop Wright uh, got to, uh, wrote a book called Surprise by Hope, Rethinking Heaven, the Resurrection, and the Mission of the Church. And uh, there's been just sort of some titillating publicity about right. it out there, which I've read. Right. And one of the uh, ideas was, will we have bodies in heaven? Right, okay. And so he treats this, and it's very interesting. Yeah, it's a hugely important topic, and uh, I'm going to tell you, a lot of you are going to be listening to this, and I want you to listen to it carefully because it's an important doctrine because the reality of our salvation is not just something that's spiritual or without a body. It is spiritual and with a body, and it involves us both now and in eternity, and that's how we ought to be thinking about it. Listen to this interview between Dr. Johnson and N.T. Wright. Bishop Wright, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Bishop Wright, you've written a book, Surprised by Hope, Rethinking Heaven, Resurrection, and the Mission of the Church. I know Christianity Today is also featured, uh, your book, this theme. Um, most Christians are looking forward to the reality of heaven. I think you're writing that we need to rethink this concept, that many Christians may be getting it wrong. Uh, let's talk about that. What's your view on that? Sure. Well, Yes, I grew up, as many Christians did, with the uh, now ordinary Western modern view that the point of being a Christian is ultimately to die and go to heaven. And it's gradually become clearer and clearer to me as I've studied the New Testament, and this is all straight out of the New Testament, 
that the New Testament isn't so much interested in where we go immediately after we die as it is interested in resurrection, which is a new bodily life which will happen when God remakes the heavens and the earth. Um, Ephesians 1 talks about uh, God's plan being to sum up everything in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Revelation talks about the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth, which, after all, only echoes what Jesus himself taught us to pray, which is, thy kingdom come on earth as in heaven. And my sense is that we Western Christians, and this is actually true for several hundred years, and it's Catholic and Protestant and liberal and conservative, etc., have been selling ourselves short by simply talking about heaven and by often imagining that that is a disembodied state where people go immediately after they die and then stay there forever and ever, whereas as I sometimes put it, and it's actually a title of a book by a friend of mine, heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world. In other words, yes, where you go immediately after you die matters, but where you go eventually, now does God's connect... whole new creation matters even more. Mm. We are made uh, as uh, embodied spirits. Uh, that is, we, we were created to have bodies. And what you're saying is that really the heaven of heavens is that we will have that body uh, it's not going to be without a body yes um, the, the problem is one of language that we use the word heaven or you just said heaven of heavens as though it means th the final ultimate state and and many Christians can't shake the habit of using it like that but of course the New Testament doesn't actually use the word heaven in that way and I'm committed as a Bible scholar to, to trying sure. to uh, rethink and, and understand what the Bible says on every possible topic. And so when, the, when I find the Bible talking about God winning the victory over all evil in heaven and on earth and uniting heaven and earth, I think it's more helpful often for people to talk about new heavens and new earth. I, I know that some people use the word heaven to encompass that new bodily reality as well, but I think I, I, many people I know find that misleading. Now, you know, when we're doing a funeral, for instance, yeah. and we want to provide comfort, we go to passages where Paul says he went to a third heaven, maybe maybe that was him, but he talked about uh, being unclothed, he talked about being absent from the body, he talked about it being far better. Uh, what I see your emphasis, but what about the reality of an intermediate state? Do you think sure. there is a New Testament that's, reality? That's important as well. And the, the passage you quoted in 2 Corinthians 5 about being unclothed or being fully clothed is quite clear. Paul is saying that his ultimate aim is not to get rid of a body, but to be more fully clothed. And I think even when you're doing, doing a funeral and comforting people, it may be of, of comfort to remind people that somebody who is in Christ, who is indwelt by the Spirit, is right now just a shadow of their future self, that God has a more real you, whoever you are, um, waiting to be put on on top of the one you've got at the moment, mm -hmm. something, a body which will be gloriously, freely, wonderfully you and truly you, and that the intermediate state um, is, is fine, but that's not the end of the thing. Now, in Philippians 1, he, he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And that's important, because I'm not saying that the intermediate state is a kind of a shabby or second-rate thing. If you are with Christ, then what could be better than that? And the only answer to that is to be with Christ, but then given a new body as well, so that you can be part of his new world. So I think we have to talk about an intermediate rest and refreshment. Jesus said to the dying thief, today you will be with me in paradise. That's today, that's Good Friday, not yet Easter Sunday. So paradise is a name for that intermediate state, and it's a good place to be. And the other one, which people always quote, is John 14, where Jesus says, yes. 
in my father's house are many rooms, many dwelling places. But the key thing there is that the word in Greek for, for a room or a dwelling place or a mansion in the King James is the Greek word mone, which means a wayside inn. It's not somewhere where you go to stay mm. forever. It's a place you go to stay and be refreshed before continuing on your journey. Well, the other big question, Bishop Wright, is uh, who's going and who's not. I see that uh, a pastor, an Anglican pastor, I believe it is, has put forward a resolution uh, for the bishops to consider, for the councils to consider on the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven. I'm very curious, you are a bishop uh, in the church, uh, what your prediction is, how, how is the church going to respond to this this motion really to affirm that, that Christ is the only way of salvation, what do you think is going to happen there? Well, actually, the, the, the motion has been put forward for consideration by the synod, which is the bishops and the priests and the laity of the, of the church. Yes. And it, it's not clear at the moment whether it is actually going to come to the next synod, which is in July. The thing is that individual members of synod have the right to propose motions, but there are at any one time over 100 motions that have been proposed, and they come for consideration according to how many signatures they attract from other people in the synod. So I'm still waiting to see whether it's actually going to come up or not but uh, that's in a sense but that's just to clarify the record as it were but that's in a sense beside the point because of course um, the, the, the question is what is meant by this exclusivity and how do you balance all those passages in the New Testament which talk about the final judgment for those who persist right. in rejecting the way of God with the passages which talk about God's sovereign mercy and God has consigned all to disobedience so he may have mercy upon all, etc. Now, when I expound Paul, I usually explain to students that the all in passages like Romans 5 and Romans 11 is emphatic because that is Jew and Gentile alike. In other mm -hmm. words, this is not uh, a numerically all human beings. It's right. It's, all, it's people of all sorts, that there are no categories excluded, as it were. But it's quite clear to me that there are um, the, the real warnings in the New Testament about the possibility of final loss are not just scaremongering. This, this, is, this is a reality. But this is something which the Anglican Church as a whole, and certainly the Church of England, has not had a huge amount of teaching on over the last generation. It's not been a popular subject. And I think it's fair to say that an awful lot of Anglicans are simply not well taught on uh, exactly the meaning of salvation. And so there are lots of fuzzy ideas out there. And my mm -hmm. book, Surprised by Hope, is, is aimed partly at trying to clarify some of that and making it clear there is a, a future world which God is making to which we are invited in Christ, but that there is the possibility of final loss for those who persist in saying, I want to go my way, not God's way. Mm. You know, you mentioned John 14 a moment ago, just a few yeah. verses down. Of course, Jesus said, in uh, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, what is your interpretation of that text vis-a-vis -vis, uh, this proposal? Well, it seems to me that is one of the two or three absolutely classic texts, another one being, for instance, in Acts, where mm. um, Peter says Peter. there is salvation in no one else because there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And uh, th those are, are very definite and very clear. And I think that the key thing to remember is that these grow out of the essentially Jewish context of the New Testament. That's not to relativize them, because Jesus himself says salvation is of the Jews. And the point is that uh, in the New Testament, it isn't the case that God simply designed a generalized plan which was just going to hang over the whole world and anyone could plug into it at any point. 
it's, there's this thing which theologians call the scandal of particularity, that God mm-hmm. chose one particular people through whom he would save the world so that he could then come himself as one particular person, the Jewish Messiah, to save the world. And this is always humiliating. People find it uh, damages their pride to think that they have to submit to this one way. They say, well, surely there must be many ways. Can't we do that? And uh, the New Testament says, well, sorry, no. Actually, all people have to go through the low door of the humble door of Mm. submission to Jesus Christ if they are to, to, to meet the living God. That has always been a shocking claim. You know, people in Paul's day found that shocking or laughable. People today find it shocking or laughable. But those who find Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life know perfectly well that there is something which he offers which nobody else is offering. Mm. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Bishop N.T. Wright. He's written the book Surprised by Hope, Rethinking Heaven, Resurrection, and the Mission of the Church. And this is Barry Creamer, and you're listening to an interview that Dr. Johnson conducted with one of the leading New Testament scholars in the world earlier this week. Hang on, we'll get the rest of the interview right after this break. Listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. We've been listening to an interview that Dr. Johnson was able to do with uh, one of the leading New Testament scholars in the world, N.T. Wright, uh, Bishop of Durham in the Anglican Church in England. And uh, it's been just really interesting. One of the things he's going to bring up in this next segment is the topic of justification. So, Penna, when I ask you about justification, what do you think of? What is justification? What do well, you I think of? about uh, that I need it because I'm a sinner, and uh, <laughs> there's nothing about me that can get me to be good enough to uh, have a relationship with God. So yeah. I need it, and Christ provided it. All right, absolutely. I agree about you that way. Oh, and me too. Yeah. Absolutely, me too. <laughs> uh, but that is the answer. I mean, it deals with salvation, but sometimes we only think of salvation as that moment when we make our first commitment to Christ or that moment when we're finally not going to hell and going to heaven instead. And N.T. Wright addresses that in this interview. Let's continue hearing what Dr. Johnson and N.T. Wright were talking about. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Bishop N.T. Wright. He's written the book Surprised by Hope, Rethinking Heaven, Resurrection, and the Mission of the Church. Uh, Bishop Wright, also people are thinking about uh, how that works, how Jesus Christ saves. And uh, I think you've written some about rethinking the concept of justification. People are talking about the new perspective. Um, How do you think we need to rethink, perhaps, justification? I mean, Luther... Uh, was very clear for the Protestant Reformation, justification by faith alone. Uh, do you think we need to revise uh, or adjust the the definition of Luther? This is a huge topic. I actually spent a week, two weeks ago now, uh, putting down the first draft of a response to a book which was written by um, uh, a Baptist minister in, Piper. in the Midwest called John Piper yes. um, on this subject. And I'm, I'm trying to respond as thoroughly as I can to him, though I don't have a huge amount of time to do that just now. <laughs> but I have to say, it's not an either-or. It's not, here's the Reformation, here's a new perspective. As many people have pointed out more recently, there are many, many different perspectives. And even within the Reformation perspective, you have Luther and Calvin who are saying very different things. And many Calvinist theologians have actually stressed from the Reformation onwards 
that a better way of talking about justification is to say we are justified in Christ. That is because of what God has done in Jesus Christ by his death and resurrection, that if we are in Christ, his death is counted as our death and his resurrection is counted as our resurrection. Now, that, it seems to me, is great Reformed theology. It's great Pauline theology. That's where I want to stand. And we, we, we stand there in Christ, according to Romans 6, and so on. One of the difficulties, though, is that the reading of key texts like Romans and Galatians has been really rather put into a box by some of the recent debate. And the one thing that's often missing from that box is the Holy Spirit. And that comes at two levels. First, the Holy Spirit in relation to how people come to faith. Paul says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And that's the basic Christian confession. So he clearly sees the Spirit at work um, in, in order to produce even the faith by which we are justified. But then also, um, in Romans 8, it's extremely clear that the Spirit is the one who takes us from present justification, which happens the minute someone believes, to future justification, which is the ultimate judgment at the end of time, which Paul talks about in Romans 2 as well as in Romans 8. And people have really worried about this recently, and they've said, oh, but if there's a future judgment according to works, this means synergism, this means we contribute to our salvation. And Paul says, no, um, yes, we do have to do stuff, but it is the Spirit working in and through us. And there are many different ways you can say it, but that's the basic thing. So for me, the Trinitarian framework is what you get in Paul, the righteousness of God the Father, the death and resurrection of God the Son, the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And if you try and think through justification in relation to the Trinity, there's all sorts of things which come clear. And from that, frankly, I don't mind whether you say uh, you like Luther or you like the new perspective. If you're working with Paul and you've got that Trinitarian framework, then you're on track. Are you comfortable with the word imputed righteousness as opposed to uh, imparted righteousness? If you have to choose between imputed and imparted righteousness, you must, of course, go with imputed. But that's like a sort of have you stopped beating your wife question. You know, all, all the answers are skewed by the, by the nature of the question. The, the, the New Testament does not, not use exactly that language. And indeed, the way the word righteousness is used in those debates does not, in fact, reflect accurately the way that Paul uses the word dikazune, which goes back to the Hebrew tzedakah in, in the Old Testament. And uh, this, this is very technical, and to, to set it out, we'd really need to have a, a, a whiteboard and some flip charts and some Greek New Testaments in front of us, which is kind of difficult on a radio phone-in from the other side of the Atlantic. <laughs> I'd be up for it, I mean, because I love that stuff. But, I mean, I know what it is that the people who are stressing imputed righteousness are trying to say. They are trying to say that when you're a Christian, when God looks at you, he sees you not as you are simply in yourself, but as you are in Christ. Yes. Now, I'm very happy to say that. I don't myself regard the phrase imputed righteousness as a helpful or indeed Pauline way of saying that. I think there are better, more biblical ways of saying it. And I want to stress, for me, the Bible is the top and the bottom line of this. Um, I don't want to go outside that. And my argument with others is not they believe the Bible and I don't, but we are actually all committed to reading the Bible, and we want by this discussion to get reading it as accurately as we can. Do you see some kind of rapprochement between the Council of Trent and uh, the reformers then? Is it that significant no, of a shift? No, it wouldn't work. It doesn't exactly work like that. Part of the difficulty is, um, okay, here's an illustration. 
supposing somebody who's never seen a car before gets into a car and he sees the driver uh, holding the steering wheel and turning the steering wheel and he gets the impression that the steering wheel is the thing that drives that car mm. so he says now the steering wheel's the thing and how come on a bicycle you don't have a steering wheel or whatever and of course we want to say yeah the steering wheel is important without that you're not going to have much of a car but you also need an engine you need tires on the road you need an exhaust pipe you need all sorts of other stuff and the steering wheel goes with all those things now the word justification in the middle ages came to be regarded like the steering wheel in that illustration people used the word justification as though that was the be all and end all of how people get saved from the beginning to the end and so a lot of the discussions in the council of trent and so on were trying to make the word justification cover all sorts of things like regeneration sanctification final judgment uh, etc which the word justification in the New Testament really wasn't designed to do. Mm. And I want to say, let's get back to rereading the New Testament and seeing that the word justification refers to the steering wheel of the whole thing. This is very important. You can't drive down the road without a steering wheel, but that it isn't the whole thing. And that actually enables us then to have the real discussion as to what Roman Catholics believe and what Protestants believe and what Eastern Orthodox believe and so on. And, and that's a, a, a further discussion which we have to have up the track somewhere. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest is Bishop N.T. Wright. Uh, let's have some fun now, Bishop Wright. You know, it's very exciting to read about Anthony Flew and uh, his uh, conversion from atheism to theism. He's written about it in the book, uh, there is a God, and it was very fascinating to me that you wrote. He asked you to write the concluding chapter. Could you just uh, tell us a little bit about that development? Uh, are you encouraged by it? Uh, I'm very encouraged by it, yes. I, I've only met Professor Flew a couple of times, but we've spoken on the phone and we've corresponded a bit. And he is an old man now, to be fair. He is he's a wonderful old man. He's a robust thinker, and he's a cheerful, energetic discusser and debater but he but he is an old man and i wouldn't want to sort of put upon him but um he has stressed that all his life as a philosopher his aim has been to follow the argument wherever it goes mm. and as far as he can see the arguments that he's been following have led him to the position where he says there is a God. He's still not clear that it could be the Christian God, and he is, is quite clear that he does not at the moment believe in the Christian God. But it is, of course, a huge step to say from being a lifelong atheist, although his, his dad was a preacher, you know. Sometimes mm. preachers' kids are the toughest nuts in, in, in all of this. Um, I speak as a preacher myself with four children and two grandchildren. Um, you know, that, that, that he may have had a lot of stuff to work through. Who knows? His image of God and all of that. But um, I, I think that is only one point within a spectrum, because I meet a lot of people who have become Christians from cold for all sorts of reasons. Last night I was at a big confirmation church in one of the parish churches, uh, service in one of the big parish churches in my diocese, and I confirmed 40 people, and the youngest was 10, and the oldest was 82, and we had everything in between. And that was just wonderful. And there weren't many philosophers there. These were ordinary men and women and children who've come to faith in Jesus Christ and wanted to stand up and say, yes, um, please join me in praying for the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And to me, that's really where it's at. Well, that is exciting. Let me ask you a final question, Bishop Wright. You know, you've written this book, Simply Christian. Oh, yeah. Why Christianity makes sense. Just in the final moments, we have many listeners out there. Some of them are not Christians. Yeah. Could you present the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and really why it makes sense? <laughs> well, um, 
when you're talking to people about God, about Jesus, about why the world is as it is, etc., sooner or later you have to cut to the chase and talk about Jesus himself. And Jesus himself was and is the one in whom we see who the living God is. Christianity is about there being a good God who made the world, who loves the world, and is going to restore the world to something even better than it's ever been. So all the beauty, all the power, all the justice, which we see rumbling along in the world, but which create puzzles because they don't work out as they should. When you look at Jesus, then you see, aha, here is somebody in whom all of that stuff came rushing together and who died under the weight of the world's evil and who rose again to launch God's project of new creation. And Jesus is the one standing there 2,000 years ago, but very much contemporary to us, the same real Jesus who we can get to know today, who says, look, um, my father, the creator of the world, is busy recreating it. Why don't you get on board with this project? Because it's not just about you, it's about the whole wide world, and you can be part of that. But you need to leave behind all that has been messed up in your life, and because of my death and resurrection and the power of my spirit, join me in this project of new creation. And it'll happen to you, and it'll happen through you to the world around you. That's basically what the Christian message is about. But start with Jesus and work out from there. Bishop N.T. Wright, he's the Bishop of Durham in the Church of England. Uh, thank you for being with us today. You're mo most welcome. It's been great fun talking to you. And again, this is Barry Creamer with Pennedexter. And uh, when we come back from the break after hearing this interview between Dr. Johnson and N.T. Wright, a leading New Testament scholar in the world, we're going to talk about why the issues they were discussing are so practically important in living out our Christianity in this world. Stay with us on Jerry Johnson Live. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. And I am privileged to be in the studio today with Penna Dexter. I just want to say, Penna, it's always a pleasure to be able to do the show with you. You're great to have on. Well, so. this is a lot of fun. My brain is kind of all over the place right now, though, after <laughs> listening to Dr. Johnson's interview with uh, N.T. Wright. Yeah, he talked about some interesting things. I want to follow up on that. I want to make clear why these issues are important. And I'm going to jump to one of the later issues that he talked about in the first half of the interview, which was um, this 
idea that Christ is the only way to salvation. Now, if you've been listening to this whole thing or you've been listening to part of it and you just want to call in and make a comment, maybe on the interview, maybe on some of the things we talked about at the beginning of the program, I want to I want you to feel free to do that. Now, you're going to have to do it quickly, but the number is 1-800-881-9270. If you're interested in calling in and asking a question, making a comment, giving your opinion, uh, we would love to hear from you. Again, the number is 1-800-881-9270. Feel free to call right now. Now, Penna, one of the things that Dr. Johnson was talking about with N.T. Wright is the fact that doctrinally we hold the view that Christ is the only way, and we hold that really adamantly, in, including the idea that if a person in another culture does not have even what most people would consider a reasonable opportunity to know about Christ, that that person cannot enter heaven because they don't come through Christ, that that's the only way. So it's, even, it's a very strong form of the doctrine of what's called exclusivity. Christ is exclusively the means of salvation. Now, Dr. Johnson was adamantly defending that. I think N.T. Wright was adamantly defending it. Do you think, Penna, and I'm just asking your opinion, uh, do you think uh, most Christians or most Southern Baptists, but, but just in general, do you think most lay persons who are Christians or even pastors whatever. Do do they agree with that view? I think most Southern Baptists do. I hate the fact that in our culture right now we have to put an adjective before Christian Uh to talk about the saved Christian, Uh because Christian becomes a cultural concept, and I think that's the way many people think about it, even in churches, possibly even in the Anglican Church, and that's why uh, Bishop Wright needed to put this in his book. But my definition of being a Christian is someone who's been saved through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Uh, Of course, I agree with that 100%. Now, we do have a caller on the line. I'm going to get right to him in just a moment. Uh, But I I just want to say my experience in churches is uh, people know that this is taught. They're uncomfortable with it, though, because they don't like the idea that they get to have something that someone else didn't even have an opportunity to have. It really bothers them. And so when I preach this doctrine, say in Romans 10 or some other passage, I get a lot of negative feedback, a lot, and uh, that really troubles me because it's a basic doctrinal truth of Christianity that if a person does not know about Christ and does not come to Christ, they cannot be saved. There is no other way. That's why we send missionaries around the world, and I know you all know that. Uh, Thomas, I really appreciate your calling, and uh, you're calling from Malakoff, I assume. Uh, Our call screener, he's not local, and so he put Malakoff. The guy's doing the best he can, though. Close enough. Thomas, uh, love you calling from Malakoff. Malakoff, what's going on? Uh, actually, I'm a, a truck driver, and I'm in Midlothian, Texas, getting a load right now. But okay. I was uh, curious what he had to say. I, I believe that Jesus is the only way, and that is what he was saying. Dr. Wright was saying, correct, that Jesus is yes. the only way? Because you got Oprah saying there's other ways. you got Obama saying there's other ways. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. And the wind is kind of breaking you up, so I'm going to cut in on you here. But I am going to say that's a, I appreciate your asking the question because we do want to make it clear. Did you hear this, Pentateuch? I mean, both Dr. Johnson, obviously, I mean, I know his position on it personally, but also N.T. Wright seemed to me very clearly to be defending this doctrine. They were clear, but he mentioned Barack Obama, and I think right. that's interesting because he throws some question into the equation when he starts to talk about his faith. Yeah. And, you know, we understand that his definition of a Christian is not the same as ours, but I'm not sure how many 
others understand that or that are outside of evangelicalism. Well, Senator Obama is Oprah's candidate, and right. uh, I'm not going to blame him for her ideas, but I am going to say it would be impossible to please Oprah Winfrey and believe that Christ was the only way. And I'm not trying to be hard on her, but, uh, oh, for crying out loud, if you believe anything uh, that she says that involves doctrine, you really need to reevaluate your doctrine. <laughs> uh, she's not giving us anything straight about Christianity. Okay, anyway, enough criticism there. Let me ask you uh, one more. Oh, uh, you know, before I ask you a question, I want to get to the caller because we need to get to them as quickly as we can. So uh, I want to join Emma in Fort Worth. I'm really grateful for you calling. Emma, what did you want to comment on? I just want to say that um, Christ is the only way, and Good according for you. to Paul, even though maybe somebody has not ministered to you, the Spirit in your ministry to you, we're all aware of the, of the presence of God. Sure. So I don't think there's any excuse. Right. But uh, we're also commissioned to go into the world and and let the, um, Christ spread the good news. Well, you know, actually, you're dealing with one of the most important questions that, that comes up in this way. And so thank you for your call, Emma. I really appreciate your taking time to do it. But we do kind of feel guilty about the fact that we get to hear, and then we respond, and then we get to go to heaven. And there are other people who never hear, and then they go to hell, what, because they didn't hear the message? And uh, that, that's associating condemnation with the wrong thing. We don't become condemned because we reject salvation. We're already condemned. We already deserve the condemnation. Our lack of understanding how important the doctrine of exclusivity is, the doctrine that Christ is the only way, our lack of understanding that is really based on the fact that we don't understand how much we deserve the judgment that was coming to us before Christ came. We don't deserve salvation. We don't earn that salvation either. Only Christ can give it. Uh, I want to take one more call before I come back to you, Penn. I, I'm hoping to squeeze in one more question with you, Penn, in just a moment. But uh, I want to join Jim in Dallas. Thank you for calling in. I want to find out what your question is, Jim. Yeah. Are you saying that if someone's never heard of Jesus, that they're going to roast in eternal fire? Because if you are, you're wrong. <laughs> and how am I wrong about that? Okay. So that is what you're saying, correct? Uh, absolutely. There is okay. only are one way. about that is... Um, is someone got to be quick. Is someone that's accepted of God going to be roasting in eternal fire? Of course not. Okay. Well, before, and no doubt you'll just quickly your position regardless of scripture. But before hearing <laughs> about Jesus, Hurry. Peter tells Cornelius, "Good that in every nation, he that fears God and works righteousness is accepted of Him. Sure, not that's right. Not that they're going to roast in eternal fire. No, that's exactly they're right. Accepted, whether they've sure. heard about Jesus or not. Absolutely right, Jim. And I, I'm only going to stop this just because of the amount of time that's left. Fearing God, being approved of God, all of those things mean that you're going to heaven. That's really good, but it's really clear, both from the Old Testament and the meaning of the New Testament out of the Old Testament, that the only people who satisfy that requirement are people who have met Jesus Christ personally. They are the only ones. If I can keep the Ten Commandments and obey all the laws of the Old Testament and exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, I'll also go to heaven. But he's not saying that because I'm going to do it. He's saying it because only in Christ can I fulfill that requirement. And that's why dealing with justification is so important, because the word that they were using in the interview, justification, is simply the word righteousness being made as a verb. So when I'm justified, I am righteous. I am made righteous. And Penna, in 10 seconds or less, when I say you're justified, what do you think that means in terms of salvation? It means you are what? 
It means I I have salvation. I am saved, Perfect. and it's just as I if I had never sinned. All right, now and that's that's one of the quotes that Billy Graham has mm-hmm. given us. You know, just as if I'd never sinned. The idea is that I am righteous, but I'm not righteous because I do good things. I am righteous because I'm in Christ. That's actually part of the dispute that was going on in the interview that Doctor Johnson did with N. T. Wright. This has been a blast, Penn. I'm so sorry we're out of time. Me too. I, I also want to thank the callers. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the studio now, and I'm gonna go to the Adolphus, and I'm gonna celebrate my 25th anniversary. You know why? Because I love my wife. See ya. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m., for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.